Welcome, much appreciated agents and investors from across the country. Today is Thursday, May 6, 2021, and this is Mastermind Podcast number 326. I have to start by apologizing for the last call. We had some uh, technical difficulties for the first five minutes. I think I know the cause. I think it's because Tim, Bruce, and I were in the same room, and there was just too much energy being generated. To allow for a good call, but sounds like a likely story, right? We promise we won't do that again. If we're when we are together on a quarterly basis, we'll go in separate rooms. But hopefully, we're coming in loud and clear this week. I wanted to just start by um, reminding y'all we do have our winner of the week award, and that is it either has to be you took a listing, or you got a contract signed, or you sold a probate deal. That is probate specific. We're looking for the best deal of the week that you're willing to share with us because, you know, it helps everybody else on the call. And we, we award either one month of free historical leads in an, in an adjacent county to your market, or we'll give you $100 off your next set of leads. And I wanted to, I wanted to, I didn't even talk to my partners about this, but I want to offer a second incentive to share. I've been in the business for 45 years. I can remember sleeping in line with my customers to get 13 and three quarters percent interest back in the 1980s. That was neither a strong buyer's nor seller's market. That was just a horrible market. But I don't think I've ever seen a stronger seller's market than we're going through right now. And we really would like to hear from you guys. Probate leads are obviously a great source because it's less competitive, but not but, I'll say and, whether it's probate or just your regular lead generating, we'd like to hear some outside-of-the-box ideas that you guys are doing to to compete and to thrive in this very strong seller's market. If you're an investor, how are you getting deals and how are you competing? And if you're a realtor, probably your biggest competition now are the FISBOs because it is pretty easy to sell on their own. And we'd love to hear your guys' ideas. We want to hear what you're doing and what's working. And I think we'll give a, a second prize for that. We'll give a prize away for the probate winner of the week, and we'll give a prize away for the idea of the week. So I wanted to start off with that. Bruce, did you think anything you'd like to share before we get started? I've been having calls all day last week because I was traveling, I guess, but we didn't, I didn't have as many coaching calls as I typically had, and everybody's doubling up on me this week, which is amazing. I'm really enjoying some of the role play calls. I think it's important to repeat to some of our subscribers, we spent a lot of time talking about it uh, before, months ago, that that we do offer uh, free real estate coaching. Um, I got a little bit over overrun with kind of initial calls, which are great. But if you're a subscriber of ours, you get a monthly real estate coaching call, and um, you also have the option of getting uh, much more advanced coaching with us as well. And I wanted to repeat that for those of you that had either forgotten or didn't know about it to begin with, that, uh, that you've got lots of training and coaching opportunities with us. And if you're not taking advantage of it, either shame on you if you need the help or congratulations if you don't need the help. That's a great way to put it. And it'd be a good time also. I know we've talked about it several weeks in a row, but it is a new program, the Foundations program. You might want to touch on that real quick also. Foundations, there's really, there's about a million and one things that you can know about probate as you're getting started, but there's really only three that matter to your revenue, your quick revenue as you get into this business, and that's marketing. So we spend a lot of time talking about marketing. That is team building. So we teach you exactly who needs to be on your team and how to get them. 
And then lastly, that's dialogue. We spend an entire day um, going through and teaching the dialogue um, system for what to say when you get a probate lead on the phone. And that's what Foundations is all about. It's a two-day program. If you're an All the Lead subscriber, it's free. You need to join in. I know that there's a lot of people who have, who have not yet. It's a good class, if I do say so myself. Right. Join in if you haven't done it. We've got another one coming up in two weeks. Yeah, awesome, Bruce. I would just add to that. We've got about 30, believe it or not, over the last seven years, we've got about 30,000 people in our database that we've touched base with and spoken to that have never signed up for our leads. And I think a lot of times it's just lack of confidence. People don't know what they don't know, and they feel like it's a whole lot more complicated than it really is. I, I always try to tell people probate, they're really just motivated absentee owners for the most part. But if there's any of you listening that just haven't had the confidence to pull the trigger and you're not a subscriber, the foundation's program is ridiculously inexpensive. It's $149 to step up and gain that confidence and maybe be ready to to pull the trigger and start working the leads. I just wanted to share that perspective also. Jim, anything you'd like to add before we get to the callers? Yeah, I, I think it's important to know. One of the things that I got a question about, and it was a question I got from somebody last week, is we always get the question, well, you know, how, how well does the system work and does it do well and all that sort of stuff. And I think it's important for folks who are on the call who potentially may not be aware of this. So we've been at this. I just happened to be looking back yesterday at some numbers, and we've literally been, uh, you know, our, our oldest subscriber date uh, dates back to um, April of 2014. And that's actually the only reason it's that old or not older than that is because we didn't start tracking it in our system until then. We actually had some that started even before that. Uh, you know, it was kind of that, but that's our oldest date. And if you look at our average, or not our average, but our overall subscriber base, better than half of our customers, um, better than half of them, as a matter of fact, have been with us for over three years. And so while, you know, as a company, we get concerned about churn rate, it's important to know that we've got a lot of folks who just do this every month. It's a huge part of their business. These names are names that are certainly familiar to all of, all of us because we, you know, we work pretty hard to provide a kind of a concierge service approach to dealing with this. And, you know, we've been doing this a good long time and we know our customer base pretty well. And anyway, the point being is that we've just, it it does work extremely well. We do have lots of, lots of satisfied customers and they're more importantly, always willing to help. And when we have these calls, invariably, when someone asks a question, it's great. We usually try to come up with great answers and all of that. But you know, I know I always look at our call list of people who are on the call, and I see same familiar names that we usually see. I see uh, Joe Lehman is on here a lot of the time, and I saw him earlier. He's on here today, and Roger Lisi is usually on. And we've got a bunch of people who join us all the time, and they're always willing to help. So anything that we can do to help you, we've been over backwards. But if you've got to if you've got to think about this, better than half of the folks that are that are here, they don't come on this call. They just go through their business. And we're going to need to do some outreach to bring some of them back so we can show you some of the old hands because they know more than we've forgotten probably about some of this. But this is rocking along. We've been at this a long time. 2014 is, is a really long time. We never realized how, you know, where this is going to go and how it's going to go. But, yes, it's very successful. And you can feel comforted 
that lots of people just like you make this work every day. It's a big part of their business. Well said, Jim. And the, the purpose of this call isn't a commercial for our company. I think the reason we're really starting with this, we really want to just instill, instill that extra layer of confidence. And that's the reason for the foundations program um, and the reason for all this, you know, rhetoric from us. I mean, a, a few years ago, I think it was two or three years ago, we asked our customers to respond with their ROI on probate, you know, their total expenses and their total income. And now, of course, these are the people that responded, but it just blew us away that the average ROI was 1,500%. And, I mean, of course, we don't advertise that. You know, we try to under-promise and over-deliver. But the the point being, if you get 100 leads and you just fail miserably and convert one or two of them, it, it's a huge return on your investment compared to almost anything else you can do out there. So end of commercial. We hope we've inspired a few of you to step up. Um, we want to inspire you to participate in these calls. We do have our winner of the week for probate, and we have our idea of the week for all lead sources. And uh, if you're not in the queue now and you want to participate, and then hit one. And I guess let's go to our first caller. First up this week is phone number ending in 2257. You're up first. Hey, how's it going, guys? This is Devontae Martin. I'm currently in a bit of a pickle. Hey, I'm currently in a bit of a pickle right now. So I sent some mailers out. I sent it to everyone. And I got a widow. She contacted me. I met up with her. We ate at Olive Garden or whatnot. And she, the situation she's in right now is her husband passed away without a will. And the issue is she can't afford the property anymore because she doesn't have that second Social Security check anymore. She said in two months, she's going to stop making payments on the house. Um, and she, she can't afford a lawyer or anything like that. So I was going to meet up with one of the lawyers that I network with in the area and try to get their opinion and talk to them. I talked to her. I was saying I could possibly, if we... I want to get the lawyer to try to see if we can strike a deal during probate so I can just consume the mortgage or something like that. And I just want to ask you all, do you have any recommendations? Yeah, Devontae, I'm assuming, are you, that's a great question, and it's not uncommon. It, it surprises us. You know, often we'll see probates that are 7, 8, 10 years old, and it's because they just never did anything about it. And eventually the bank will foreclose. I mean, you're really providing a service there. Question for you, are you strictly an investor? Are you a realtor also? So I'm an investor for right now. I should have my realtor license by the end of this month. Okay, so you're getting your real estate license. And for now, you're strictly an investor. Yes. And I'm assuming that you've done enough research to determine that there is equity in the property? Yes, she has a lot of equity in the property. Okay, and right now, is she is she current now or is she already behind on payments? So she's current right now. But she's saying she can't wait until probate over to get rid of to stop paying. She's saying she can't afford it at all or whatnot. Yeah. And she said, yeah, she, she wants to try to expedite. I said, okay, we're going to need a lawyer to expedite it and stuff like that. I'm just, and I said, and she wants to have a dumping property. She wants to sell it. She doesn't want it anymore. And I pretty much just told her, I said, okay, I can help walk you through this and maybe pay for so this loan you deducted from the price of the property. Only thing is, I don't want to do this without having a contract in place because she could just accept my services then and go with someone else. Yeah, 100%, 100%. I know Bruce and Tim are going to have ideas. The first and foremost thing that occurs to me is you got the right attitude. You're trying to help the lady. And have you determined like just a ballpark of what you could buy it for or you haven't gone there yet? So I determined, so I'm going to look at the property either tomorrow or Monday. So I got a ballpark of what I want to pay for. But the only thing is she told me that there's a leak in the garage 
and I don't know if that's a foundation issue. I don't know if we can just pay to go on about our business. So I was just, once I find, once I look at the property, then I can have a better idea of what to offer her. Gotcha. I'm just asking all these questions to get a little bit of background. You you could write up a contract now, but until you have an executor of the estate appointed, it, it isn't going to be valid. First, she is the PR? Yes. If there, so there's no will, but the probate has been filed? Yes, it has. She already started it. Oh, yeah. okay. Awesome. Then I had two thoughts, and I know Bruce will want to expand on this. The first thought is if she is the designated PR of the estate, any money you lent or chose to lend her, we we have a cash advance company that does this. You you could, that's a pretty secure lien if the executor signs for it. So you, whether you got the deal or not, I, I feel pretty confident, and, and Bruce may want to comment on this, that you would get your money back with interest. But I would tie it to your deal. Here's my contract, and in, included in this offer, you know, if you can get the attorney to, to do it and collect on the closing, that would be the first option. But if you can't, awesome. then included with your offer to her, just build in the, you know, the $25 or $3,000 it's going to cost her the probate. Just put that in the contract that you'll, well, actually, I think I think you want to do two things. I think you want to put it in the contract. I think you also want to get something signed from her that if for any reason you don't yeah. buy it, you'll get your money back as a creditor of the estate. Does yeah, that make sense? Okay. Yes, it does. And, no, no, go ahead, sir. No, I'm saying, so one thing is I want to help her after she leaves the property because she has nowhere to go. She can't afford the rent in the area. She wants to stay somewhere that's safe, but she can't afford anything. Uh, she's really in a pickle right now. And I want to see if there's any okay. services out there that can help her, like social work. I, I got to call the social work that I've been trying to, that I've been communicating with for the past two weeks. I'm going to reach out to her, but I just want to know, do you all know of any programs that can help her? Like an ex-widow who's just li- who's retired, who just living off Social Security. Bruce, you want to- where are you located again? Greenville, South yeah, Carolina. I'm sorry, one at a time. What did you say? You said Atlanta. Uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Oh, Greenville, South Carolina. Okay, so um, are you? Have you talked to any attorneys in your marketplace to find out what the average time to close a probate is in your market? I'm meeting with him today at three o'clock. Okay. So before you before you go chasing down programs and all that, if you find out that you can potentially get this closed and, you know, depending on which timeline is to close the estate, if you're going to do that, you may be able to bail her out of this before she runs out of money. And, and then you can also help her find a place to live with the proceeds from the sale if there's a lot of equity in it. It sounds like this is a gold mine opportunity for you and for her, and you can simply continue to paper her until this is over and then, you know, give her the proceeds of the sale, you know, that, that will get her what she needs to be. And she, she can stand up proudly and go get her own place. Okay. Does but she have enough to buy for cash later, just a smaller property for cash? Does she have right. enough? You just got to get with the attorney. That's the first step in the process to just kind of find out what, you know, what the lay of the land looks like. And she, but you said she's already been granted as she's already been certified as the personal representative for the estate by the court? Yes, yes. Does she have full authority? Is that a full authority issue? So there's another problem. So the thing is she has bad blood with her daughter. So the thing is with no will, she's going to have to split it 50-50 with her daughter. She's afraid that her daughter's going to give her a bunch of pushback and try to prolong the probate, and she can't afford that to happen. I, I want to chime in here and propose what 
what might be going on when you when someone passes away their their assets are sometimes and, and often in the case of a surviving spouse sometimes that asset is considered a beneficiary asset where if they are have joint tenancy with the right of survivorship which most spouses do then oftentimes and you've got to ask your attorney this, but oftentimes that real estate that had joint tenancy with right of survivorship does not have to pass through probate. So I want she's you to not on the deed. She's not on the she's deed. She's not on the deed. No, because I thought that as well, and I even talked to a lawyer. She's not on anything. Hmm. Yes. Okay. So I agree <laughs> with him. Yes. So the attorney is first. Bad blood between her and the daughter is certainly can be navigated. Do you have any idea does the daughter want to sell? I, I would imagine. She no. Was, no? Why? When I talked to her, when I talked to her, she said the daughter is very spiteful and she told her she's going to keep the property. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And I got to put the artist out in two months. Well, I mean, the daughter needs to know that it's either either start paying the mortgage or lose the property. So the but daughter... Not, the split is not up to the daughter. It's up to the court because the court is going to decide how the proceeds of this estate are distributed, not the daughter claiming she's got it. That's what the court will decide. The court will say, you know, if she's the surviving spouse and has lived in that house for X amount of years, she has, in most cases, in most states, she'll have significantly more standing than her daughter does. And okay. the state is more likely to, to give her uh, a, potentially a better share of the deal. But you're, you know, Bruce and I both said the same thing. Sit down with the attorney, tell him everything you told us, and get the right answers out of him. And it's also the best opportunity in the world for you to build a great relationship with the attorney that, you know, can stand you in good stead going forward for lots of other opportunities. Okay. He's, yeah, he's, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was saying he's, I've all, I communicated with him, and I just, we got a good relationship so far. So he's more, he was more inclined to come talk to me. He actually set aside um, time today to come speak with me. It's actually pretty cool. I guess the only thing is, the only the good thing about this probate case is going pretty fast because the husband didn't have a lot of debt. There's really only debt in the house and in the two cars. Gotcha. Yeah. Devontae, I would make, and it sounds like you've given this a lot of thought. You're doing everything so far correctly and in the right order. I would go to the attorney with a series of questions. You know, without a will, in your experience, is the surviving spouse going to have the majority of the, you know, of the assets, the equity, and is she going to be able to have enough control to decide to sell? That'd be the first question. And then another question would be, are you willing to get paid at the closing on this? And then the third one would be, if not, can and I, and I Devante, pay you, can we secure that to make sure I, I get paid at the closing? There's three questions right there that I think you'll, after you get those three answered, I think you'll have a much clearer path as to how to move forward. But okay, I, this this is a, a great opportunity, and it's a fine line, Devontae. There's a lot of extra work that you're putting into this one. So if I were you, when you make your offer, I mean, you're not going to abuse the situation, but also factor in all the work that you're going to have to do on this and make sure you give yourself a nice payday also. You know what I mean? It's kind of a fine line between – okay. Yeah, it's a fine line between this This is not a typical deal where you just step in, make a contract, and walk away. I had one like this years ago. By the time the dad died, he was three weeks away from foreclosure at the courthouse steps, and I had to hire my attorney, pay him to go stop the sale, and it was the most profitable uh -huh. flip I ever did, but 
everybody, nobody begrudged the money I made because, you know, they would have all lost it all if I hadn't gotten involved. So you got to kind of measure the amount of work with the amount of compensation to yourself and at the same time, you know, be fair to the seller. Oh, Jim, I was just going to say, I also see that uh, Joe, Joe Lehman has popped into the queue. And why don't you pop Joe in and see if he's got anything to add to, to this, because maybe that's what he, he's talking about. Yeah, Joe, hit star six and hit one if you can. I don't see him on the first screen. I can go in and look for you, but yeah, there you go, Joe. Okay, let me unmute you, Joe. Joe, I think you're unmuted. Are you there, sir? I, I, I actually came in to share a, a technique for getting additional business. Oh, okay. Well, did you hear what? Yeah, you're uh, probably as seasoned as anybody. Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Sorry. What? Okay. What is the question that we're... Were you, were you listening to Devante's situation or not? No, I actually had to step out and I was speaking with another... Uh, that's okay. And Devante, my apologies. We lost you and we let Joe in. If you want to... Get up. Oh, yeah. awesome. Okay. All right. So, so Joe, you're on deck. Devante, any other questions on your situation? Um, no, that's all. You already answered a lot of I do appreciate that. I'll just... yeah. Awesome. Go to the attorney with those questions and... If if you need additional help, Devante, you don't have to wait for the next call. Just uh, send an email to support at all the leads, and one of us will call you back and walk you through it. And then hopefully in a week or two, you'll come on, and that'll be our win of the week story. All right, good deal. All right, thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, Joseph, you're up next. Big Joe Lehman, are you there? Hello? Yes, sir. Go ahead. Uh, so one of the things you're asking for is sources of business, additional sources of business, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, so in in many markets, uh, properties have appreciated so rapidly, you've got a lot of absentee landlords that aren't necessarily aware of how much their property has appreciated. Yep. So identifying previous rental rentals in the MLS or rental properties in general that have absentee owners and contacting them is a great source of business right now. They are oftentimes very amazed that their property has gone up that much in the last 18, 24 months. And because of that, they'll want to sell and cash out. Joe, that is a great idea. Where do you, what do you use? Do you use list source or do you just go back and see previous listings or how, how do you find the absentee owners? Wait, well, you can, you can go and in my MLS, there's a rental section. So you can search rentals. You can cross-reference them into the tax record to see if you've got an absentee owner. Brilliant. Great idea. Great idea. And oftentimes, these absentee owners are, are one-offs. They became unintentional landlords. Four yep. years ago, five years ago, six years ago, they tried to sell because they were moving out of town. Many of them are Air Force people in my market. But they were moving out of town, and they couldn't get sold, so they rent it, and and they are delighted to try to now get out of the property. Excellent idea. No, that that really is. Um, there are sources out there for have, finding absentee owners, and we've looked at it, Joe. But the problem is they base it on whether the mail's being delivered, and it's that's just not a real accurate. Uh, we found about fifty to sixty percent of the time the data is not accurate. So I like that look going back and looking at looking at old rentals. I know there are companies out there too, like ListSource, that you can uh, search that data on. And then Joe, do you, when you do it, do you, do you mail, do you call, or do you do both? My primary deal is calling. Are you familiar with Arch Agent? I've heard of it, but go ahead. I, I'm not terribly familiar. Well, it's, it's another 
it's a, a data aggregator service with a power dialer, but they are really good about finding phone numbers for people like you guys are. Yeah, and y'all use various skip tracing services or whatever, but you come up with a ton of numbers for people. So there's lots of ways to track people down and find numbers. Yeah, hey, it's a great idea. Excellent. I'd like to throw in on that really quickly. If you guys can hear me, thanks, Jim. You you accidentally muted me out, so I was talking and no one was listening. <laughs> no. So. The, the, to Joe's point, there are a lot of, if you're really getting granular with your search on absentee owners that maybe have uh, rental properties, especially if they're one off, another layer of kind of education you can give yourself on their individual situation is look at the people that it looks like they bought the property somewhere or somewhere between um, two and five years ago, and maybe their capital gains tax is about to uh, kick in. So they lived in the house for two years, and now they're coming up on their third year of being out of the house. Those people are almost certainly going to be interested in selling because if they can sell before that fifth year rolls around, then they've got to, they're going to skip the capital gains, especially if they lived there and then became unintentional landlords. So while you're doing this search, look for people that bought five years ago or a little bit less than five years ago and go after them especially hard. Sure. I think that's a brilliant idea, Joe. People that are in the market to sell now pretty much know that it's that they can name their tune. And these are like unintended sellers that you go out and hunt down and they're probably going to be, number one, they're probably going to be a little more reasonable on their price for investors and secondly, there's going to be a whole lot less competition. Like probably you're going to be the only one contacting them. I think it's a brilliant idea. You got the other show? Or is that it for the week? Uh, that's, I just bought one for for this time. Hello, do you hear me? Yeah, you're there, Joe. Go ahead. Hey, we, no, I, I just I just bought that one perfect. for this call. Win every week, right? Good job, as always, Joe. We appreciate you, man. Thank you. I think that's a great idea, and I'm glad we asked. And that was worth asking. So like, hopefully. Some of you will we'll put that into practice. Come back next week and let us know. And if any of you do try it and you need some help, again, just email us, support at all the leads, and we'll jump on the phone and walk you through it. We may get Joe to do that. You know, we, we're talking to Joe in the future. We appreciate you, Joe. Thank you. We have three more, in, three more in the queue. Next up is phone number ending in 8102. You're up next. How's it going, fellas? Can you hear me? Loud and clear. Okay, um, my name is Tony. Uh, I consider myself a newbie wholesaler. I've been studying for a couple months. I just dove in and began cold calling from the leads I got from the probate leads. And I got a call back from a real estate agent who's representing the people I was calling. So my question is that the real estate agent has declined offers already that are what I consider a good or a decent wholesale price. And I'm going to meet with them for the first time. This is going to be my first time. Um, actually being at a meeting with someone, but it would be a real estate. So I don't feel like I have the edge in this deal. And I just wanted to know, do you have any advice on how I should approach this situation to try to get a deal done or anything like that? If Bruce, yeah, if an educated real estate agent is involved, and that's uh, that's going to be a biggie, is their education level. But if they are, as a wholesaler, I would probably be willing, I, I would encourage you to be willing to put some deposit into the game. As an agent who's fielded offers from wholesalers, that's one of my biggest beefs on the agent side. That's one of my biggest beefs with wholesalers is normally they're locking, they're offering sometimes even a really good price with no um, deposit. 
And because I've experienced this multiple times, my clients are very rarely going to accept that offer because there's just no skin in the game. So you're either going to make an offer with a deposit to, to get ahead. And, and I would probably even point that out if, if you're willing to put some skin in the game on the deal. I would even point out, hey, I'm not like other wholesalers that are just in here to lock up your client's house in contract for months at a time. I'm willing to put a deposit in. That's how confident I am that, that I can turn this around. I guess um, my question for you, though, is does the agent know that you're a wholesaler or do they think that you're a, a cash buyer? The, the agent knows that I'm a wholesaler. And okay. The, the, meeting's gonna, the meeting that I'm attending is an actually an open house where I get to actually check everything and estimate the ARV and everything. And I guess that's my shot to, to really negotiate. I just want to have some edge. They seem like they're a little more knowledgeable than me. The way they broke me down with questions, they took lead in a conversation. And I was at a situation, I was at a point where I was a little nervous on answering the questions. So I just feel like I'm jumping in my first meeting and I don't really have any edge. So I'm just trying to, just trying to have some insight so I could get that deal done. So uh, I'm going to, encourage you to jump into my schedule or send me a private email at bruce at alltheleads.com because uh, as a broker and as an agent that's listed a lot of houses that, and I've gotten a lot of wholesale offers on my listings, there are certain things that wholesalers traditionally do that are major red flags to me. And we've sold plenty of houses to wholesalers as well. So it's not, it's maybe a stain on the industry, but it's not, it doesn't mean that everyone does it wrong. So I can probably help you structure a deal on this one that is more appealing to the agent than any other wholesaler that would that would come along. And most of it has to do with whether you have any liquidity to be able to put up as deposit. Because historically, sellers often, especially new ones, and I know you're new, we're all new at some point, but uh, frequently they overestimate what they can get for a property. And then there's no skin in the game and they'll lock the contract up for months at a time. And you don't want to do that. Otherwise, you're going to create that reputation for yourself. So we want to set this one up the right way to begin with and create a good reputation where people want to bring you deals. Does that help, Tony? Yeah, it does yeah. help. Schedule that call with Bruce. I was, we have three more in the queue, but I was just going to echo real quickly and agree 100% with what Bruce said. When Back in the day when my wife and I were full-time investors, we were flipping three to five properties a month. And whenever I knew I had competition, I would caution the seller, but you're probably going to get a lot of offers with $100 deposits. And those people probably don't even intend on closing. They're going to try to flip it. If they don't, they're going to walk away from their $100. And now this is when I was actually buying them, and I would put up a $5,000 deposit, and they would call back and say, yeah, you're right, you're right. So it's eliminating some of the competition. Now, as a wholesaler, you probably don't want to put up 5000 but you don't want to put up more than you can afford to lose, but certainly more than 100 and enough you got to be confident enough that you're going to be able to get in and out, that you're willing to lose a deposit. But as a new person, that is going to make you stand out, putting up the bigger deposit if you can afford to risk it. So I, I, think, that's a, I think that's a great idea. And please, jump into Bruce's schedule and get a private call with him to help you with this deal. Will do. Thank you, gentlemen. All right. Thank you. Next up is phone number ending in 7448. You're up next. Hey, guys. This is Steve. I'm from Indy. And I had a, I had been mailing some historic leads, and this is back from a probate that was filed in September of last year. And she called me because there's a knot in the probate process. What has happened is her father owned a home, 
and with his, what I am assuming is his wife, and he quit claimed it over to a gentleman back in 2018 that I don't know who it is. It's Jeffrey Barrett. And then only about two months later, it got quit claimed back to the deceased is who it is. Now, the PR called me, who is the daughter of the deceased, and she's the oldest of 11 siblings. Now, what has happened is the father back in 2018 quit claimed the property over to his one of his sons who lives in California. Now, here comes the part that is a little bit tied up is where when he quit claimed it over, he didn't quit claim it with him on the deed as well, but he, it just is his son. Now, in the meantime, the son has died. And after the son died, the decedent or the one in the probate that I'm concerned about has died. So being the father, doesn't isn't there something like it goes up to and then down on inheritance if there's no will? Or how, but you know, the whole thing is a person left. on title now is in California, but they died prior to the father dying, the one that I'm in probate. Not that it's fun, uh, but it reminds me of that song, I'm My Own Grandpa. That, that's the most complicated situation uh, that I've heard. Go ahead, Bruce. I was just going to ask who's on first. So I'm saying the son, the one who is on title, died first yeah. prior to the yeah. father who is my probate case. Look, but but this house look. is very unlikely to be in, in the father's probate. This is going to be in the son's probate if there is one yet. So we've got to find the son's heirs. Um, those heirs may be the siblings. They may be the mom. They may be kids. But we're going to need to get a hold of whoever the personal representative for the son is. And, and you're likely going to have to go through channels, the family channels, to figure out who the heirs to that yeah. estate are. I, it doesn't sound Her to me like... Her being the oldest sibling, she could probably be the PR for that as well. And work. Likely, so. likely, but it's not going to be the dad. If the dad deeded the property over to his son, and he's and the dad was not on title, this house doesn't sound to me like it's going to be wrapped up in the father's probate. It's going to be his son's probate that that it's wrapped up in. Yeah. Okay, that's what I thought, and that's all I had. That was my only question. Steve, it reminds all me right. of Devonte a little bit. It's complicated enough that it sounds like they, somebody really. Whoever is going to get title or whichever people are going to get title really needs your help. So is there an attorney you're already dealing with on this or not? They, they Nobody's hired well, she, you. Yeah, in Indiana, you have to have an attorney to file probate. So there is an attorney working on her probate, but they probably told her that. that but I, that's what I do need. I just need to talk with them, have a deeper conversation. We were rushed yep. yesterday afternoon when we talked, and we'll see about getting her attorney involved and trying to deal with it for them. It's not a very expensive property it probably wouldn't even get fifty or sixty thousand on the market as the way it is. Mm. It's not a very good part of town and it's just maybe something that she doesn't even want to deal with after all. But but at sixty thousand and to the, somebody's estate that she's con connected with. So that's sure. all I had. Thanks guys. All right. All right. Appreciate it. We got two more in the queue. That should take us pretty nicely up to the top of the hour. Next up is phone number ending in four six six three. You're up next. I have two questions. One has to do with Joe Lehman's suggestion about a source for uh, phone numbers for these absentee landlords. I couldn't hear what he said the, the source was. Yeah, it's Arch Agent, A-R-C-H-A-G-E-N-T. Okay. 
And that says the power the MLS, the second source MLS is uh, rentals in the MLS. Thank you. Number two is uh, Devante's situation. It, it, as a, as an investor, sometimes you have to come up with creative solutions. And one thing that jumped out to me is the fact that this uh, widow needs cash. She seemingly needs maybe cash over time. If she can't afford something to buy, perhaps he could do an installment sale offer and be able to pay her over time to supplement her social security. So she's at least got you know, a, a longer horizon to be able to live on. And that might also make the offer less attractive or more attractive to the to the daughter. If you were to try to propose more creative solutions than just quick cash or whatever, what is your experience with those being accepted or difficulty of being accepted and maybe how to go about things like that? Thank you. I would say that an sale is almost a perfect use case for this particular situation provided the daughter is willing to go along with it. I think that ultimately it's the daughter that is is the problem in a case like this because she might not go along with it. So someone needs to um, lay out the, the, the bad or the bad option for her and see that selling is the only thing. So it, sound, it sounded to me in Devante's case like the mom really would, would prefer to stay. She just can't afford it. So you're essentially, as the investor, becoming the you're becoming the the bank for her to stay. Mm-hmm. So you get the house for a little bit of a, a discount, and and then pay her, and she essentially becomes your tenant. I think it's a a brilliant idea if you can afford to hold onto your rental property. And I don't know if that was the case with Devante or not. Mm-hmm. Okay, so so presenting that to I guess she's the widow is the PR. So I guess that she she'd still need to get the daughter's agreement because of yeah the daughter thing. It sounded to me like the daughter was going to have to agree to anything that that happened. So likely a mediator would have to be involved in Devante's case. But let's take the situation as a whole. You have a um, widow who is out of money. She has lots of equity in the property. You essentially become the reverse mortgager, and uh, you pay them a mortgage to stay in the property. They're, they're now your tenant, and you work out whatever difference it is, but you think that you're paying them to stay in the property all the while you're building. So I think that creative financing in a case like this is just the way to go if you can get the job. Thank you. Yep, definitely. How often do we have situations like that where you get a widower or a widow and they're in a house that they can't afford, there's lots of equity, they don't want to move, but they almost have no choice because they just can't afford the property. For those of you that have that creative mindset of how can I creatively structure a deal and turn this into a win-win, there's a lot of opportunity here. Number one is you're helping someone who's lived in a house for a long time stay. And second, you're giving them the money that they need to to be able to live out their remaining years and more comfort. And you're building equity in an asset that is going to be very valuable for you in the future. So I'm going to encourage a lot of you guys in situations that are similar to this, maybe a little less contentious with family members, but in situations similar to this, there's some deals to be had if you can structure a, a deal like this. And Bruce, that is, just to add on, that's really an ideal situation for investor. Devante's deal, you could potentially, you know, they were worried about getting behind on the payments, so you could take it subject to the mortgage 
and have the seller hold the second. You can get in for, you could actually have your cake and eat it too. You could actually get a good price and get in for very little cash down, ideally. So yeah, a lot of potential in a deal like that. I agree. All right, sir. Does that help? Yes, thank you. Thank you. Oh, and thank, thank you for your insight. Yeah, we appreciate your insight. That's great. Guys, we only have one more in the queue. We could probably squeeze in another one if anybody wants to hit star six and hit one. In the meantime, last up right now is phone number ending in 714. All right. Okay. Thanks for taking the call. Sure. Yeah, it's Larry Smith. I was on the in the foundations class. It was really helpful. Love the dialogue stuff. So if anyone hadn't done it, there's your plug to get involved. That that was really good. <laughs> yeah. Good. And people Thank come you. back to that class over and over. And the dialogue is the heart. I don't. It's the easiest part once you've got the foundation of it. But um, that's the part that people get hung up on. And I appreciated your insight and input into that class yesterday, Larry. You um, really yeah. contributed. Cool. Hey, I, I have some easy questions because those last three calls have made my head hurt. So this should, I, I could literally, I was getting lost. Like who, like you said, he was on first base. I couldn't figure out where we started. I didn't even know what the question was anymore. That's funny. But I, my questions are, I'm about to do my first mailer. And I'm primarily going in as a real estate agent and um, conflicted on whether I should or should not be using my company real estate logo on the letters or if I should just create a different logo with a different URL and and that kind of stuff. So it's kind of logistics of how to best handle that. How would it be perceived with a real estate logo in terms of response? I don't know. Your thoughts. So, Larry, I'm going to give a similar answer to the one that I gave on Foundations of a dialogue, where in my dialogue and the introduction, I'm usually not. I'm painting myself into a real estate corner up front. Um, we get to real estate a little bit later in that conversation, and I, I treat letters the same way. I do need, if you are a licensed agent and specifically a realtor, you do have some disclosure laws and clauses in the Code of Ethics that do apply. So it's not like you don't put your status as a realtor anywhere on the letter. You do need to put it in there. But I'm not front and centering that with a logo, especially early on while I'm just trying to establish some credibility and some knowledge, some brand awareness of who I am. I'm usually leaning really heavily on me being the one-stop solution for a lot of different needs. And I might reference real estate in there, but I'm referencing several other things as well. And then the further into that campaign you get, so maybe month three, four, five, something like that, you might start putting your logo into those and focusing a little bit more on the fact that you're in the real estate business. But I don't think that I would do that right up front, especially with a family that is likely very early in the probate process and probably is not ready to um, pick pick an agent yet. So maybe not doing a logo in the first couple of mailings and maybe just leaving logos off altogether and just have a letter then. Yep. Would be enough. Yep. And okay. your realtor or your real realtor logo down at the bottom of the page, you need to have it on there. Any any okay. disclaimer put at the bottom of the page and kind of blend it in, have a font that blends a little bit into the footer. Because that letter, I want them to pay close attention to the the categories of my offer, not the nuances and not the fact that I'm a realtor. Okay. And I'm sure the printing guys or the people over there might have some examples I could use for that. Yep. 
Okay, next next question, if we got time. I don't know if anybody else is in the queue, but I also... No, you're it. Okay, so from a calling time frame, once the letter goes out, what's a good amount of time to allow, of course, for the mail to get there, but then maybe a timing in terms of maybe you don't want to call the day the letter gets there, or maybe even the day after, but I didn't know just from y'all's experience what time frame might be good to make that first contact? Start at around two days after the letter lands. If you have a large list, you're not going to get through the whole list in two days. So I would say anywhere from okay. two days after that letter's gotten there, it should still be relatively fresh in their mind. And hopefully they're, they put two and two together and recognize your name and pair it up with that letter when you call. Okay. All right. Let me jump in there for a second. I also think it, it makes some dependence on when in general, your mail in your in your county, because we always send you a letter to let you know when the mail went out. You know when you receive mm-hmm. yours. Every county is different. Every delivery route is different. Some get delivered in the morning, some get delivered in the afternoon. But if you're calling in the afternoon, the day after you got yours, they probably will have had it and may not have already disposed of it in the round file. And so you have a great opportunity if you call in the evening of that day after you got notified that you got it, they probably have it at that point, and it's in their mail right then. So you can literally be following up with it at its warmest time. Bruce is correct. Two days is safe, but I would also, if you're going to call late in the day, and certainly we recommend that you do that as well, because think about it, a lot of times the person who's the PR or the person who's responsible, they're working a regular job. They don't get home till 5 o'clock. So if you're making that call after that, they probably got home. Their mail's probably in a stack. So you may want to take a look at it then. But it just depends. And they may want to go okay. look. And if, if you do call and they haven't gotten it, they'll look for it the next day when they pull the mail up. So it's it's okay to do it any time in that time frame. But if they've got it, it's a great time to do it. So I'd, late in the day. Be- and I like the idea of varying those call times because you're not going to get everybody in the morning. And the evening time, 5 to 7, is that a good time? I know I saw the report is 4 to 6, but... There was an old MIT study that said 8 to 10 a.m. and 4 to 6 p.m. are the best time to call. I think COVID has thrown some of those those standards out the window, so I think 5 to 7 is fine. I'll tell you, I've had some great success between 7 and 8. Not not everybody's going to but you've got people that are sitting at home bored and needing a break from the kids sometimes uh, if you call in that window. So there, there are lots of good opportunities to call, and it's not going to work for everyone you call, but it's going to work for a certain population. Sure. And I was just going to okay. add to that. When I was prospecting machine back in the day, I used to, I'd try them three times during regular business hours, and then I used to do Wednesday night about 6 to 8, I think it was, or maybe it was 5.30 to 7.30, but in that time frame. And then if I didn't get them on Wednesday, my my final go-to was like a 10 or 11 to 1 on Saturday. You know, that though I probably got the best contact rate on Saturday morning, as long as you don't call too early. But, um, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, in any case, yeah, vary the time, and you're on the right track there for sure. Cool. And last what question, Colin, sure. Colin, because I got, I'm in between mailings, and I got an old list. Not that old. It's like March, so it's not extremely old. But, of course, that list I didn't mail to. But I'm not so sure that I don't come down on the camp that, says you can't call them if you haven't mailed them. And I was just thinking maybe using that list as maybe more of a practice. 
and even if you had to reference a letter, I'm absolutely sure these people have gotten tons of letters. So they're probably not going to remember your letter to begin with. What's the thought about calling the people that, you know, to practice, but you didn't actually mail them? Bruce, sorry, I, I muted myself out. That's my fault. You did it to me last time, Jim. I did it this time. So right. the, uh, the letter, referencing a letter goes back to what, what we talked about in Foundations, where you're using that pattern disruptor. So the letter reference right. to me is simply a pattern disruptor. And if I haven't sent a letter, then I might just use a different pattern disruptor. So instead of, hey, I'm calling because I sent you a letter, I wondered if you got that, then I'm just going to say, do you happen to recognize my name? I'm just going to use a different type of pattern disruptor okay. after reading. And there are times when even if they have gotten a letter, they might not remember it, or maybe they haven't had an opening, an opportunity to read it yet. So even if I've sent them a letter, one of the first things that I say after I reference that letter is, I don't imagine you've had an opportunity to read that yet, have you? And it really gives them a nice, comfortable out if they haven't read it. It, it lightens the pressure on what was your favorite part of the letter? They're worried that you're going to ask that or what do you think of the letter? So if you haven't sent one, just try Maybe don't reference your letter. Just say, hey, I'm wondering, Perfect. do you happen to recognize my name? Do you happen to remember hearing my name before? Something like that. Perfect. All right, guys. Hey, I appreciate it as always. Good call, and I appreciate it. All right. That's a perfect segue to my close. I started off the call by saying appreciated agents and investors. And, and I want to just echo that. We, you guys always step up. We, we toyed with this new idea of ideas, and you guys step up and had a couple great ones this week. So I'm sure there's a lot of people on this call that benefited. Thanks, thanks to each and every one of you for being here. I want to particularly thank those that shared their deals they're working on and their ideas, outside-the-box ideas. And I want to challenge each of you, take one thing that you heard on today's call, go out and put it into practice, and please come back next Thursday and share the results with the group. Have a great week, everybody. Talk to you at the same time next Thursday. Take care.